Paul Teron, the Managing Director of Vestac, the Friday evening business blunders on the line to us from Johannesburg this evening. Please tell me why, Mr. Teron, you are making fun of getting, getting the stock code wrong. It happens all the time, doesn't it? This is an American story. Yeah. No, this is another one. We had one a couple of weeks ago, but this is the buyout you would have heard during the week of a company called Nest by Google. Nest makes little thermostats, but they're connected to the internet. Anyway, the deal is announced, and some dumbass goes and buys the shares of a company called Nestor, which has the share code Nest on the stock exchange. <laughs> but it's in liquidation. It's trading at 0.2 cents. <laughs> he takes the price to 4 cents, at which point it's got some incredible percentage increase. But, I mean, a similar thing happened when Twitter's IPO happened. Remember that day? Yes. Because there was a company called Twitter Home Entertainment, also bankrupt. <laughs> and on the day of the listing, people started buying that thing, Badornet. But, you know, I mean, Nestor makes traffic enforcement systems, and it was insolvent, and it wasn't happening. So, Bruce, I've figured it out. You and me, we're going to go into business, right? We're going to find clapped-out JSE listings like, I don't know, construction companies, okay? Yes. We're going to buy the listings. Yes. They're going to be insolvent. They won't cost us a lot. Excellent, good. And then when there's a buyout deal going on, we're going to put them out to trade. We're going to quickly change the name. So I'm thinking, like, we could take some clapped-out construction company and rename it Cock Ad Pharma, okay? <laughs> and then when the Chileans are coming to buy Ad Cock, then it was an idiot's world, you know, no, we'll be no. rich. We'll get rich fast, Bruce. Oh, the cat's out of the bag. Nice idea, Paul. Pity we didn't talk about it all fair. Now, um, you, you Japanese people, please be careful, be gentle, be nice. No, I love Japanese people. I mean, they're so delightfully strange. Delightfully strange. There are 127 million of them. Actually, no, there are 126. The population's going down. The Prime Minister Shinzo Abe is trying to wake them up, get the economy going. He's battling desperately to get inflation up to 2%, but he's not winning because they won't you know, spend any money or the companies won't increase their salaries, that kind of thing. But just a couple of interesting stats from Japan this week. Did you know that before Fukushima, 30% of electric power in Japan was provided by nuclear power stations. Every single one of those stations has been shut down. So they're currently busy importing loads and loads of fuel, ruining their balance of payments, and not to mention the air quality. Then we have the case of the adult diapers. You've heard this story before. Apparently in Japan, adult diapers sell much better than baby diapers. (laughs) That's related to the problem of the population going down. And then consumer spending is desperately depressed in Japan, except one category, and that's spending by Japanese adults on pornography and other adult entertainment (laughs) services. $157 on average per person in Japan. 1,500, 700 rand on those things all year. But my favorite and final contribution about the Japanese is their consumption of rare fish species. Now, we know, I mean, Japanese mad about sushi, so that's all fabulous and so on and so forth. But you see these pictures where they, like, land some massively old tuna, the largest one that's ever been caught, and then they cut it up in a public ceremony with swords. But this week they went one better. Some fishermen off some island near Japan hauled in a 26-foot-long giant squid. I mean, these things are so rare that they were deemed extinct until a few years ago. So it's still alive when it comes up in the nets, right? What do they do? They haul it out to measure it. Then they decide it isn't quite the record, but then it's dead. So then they send it to a restaurant and eat it. 
So, you know, that's just fabulous. Uh, you know, raise the price, catch some more of these fabulous near-extinct species, and then let's eat them. So, well done, Japan. <laughs> Keep winning. <laughs> On a more serious note, though, if we can be serious just for a moment, I mean, you were talking earlier about the Japanese economy and how uh, Shinzo Abe has come in and what he has done is he's deliberately devalued the yen and he's got growth going, he's got, um, he's, he's got some nice export growth going. But after 20 years of zero growth and zero risk in that economy, it's hardly surprising that Japanese people are reluctant to spend. It's hardly surprising that companies are reluctant to raise salaries. He has actually got a very, very deep and serious problem. He does. And, you know, I think he's doing quite well, as you say, compared to some of his predecessors who basically just played the round and roundabout. They're also wrestling with a number of problems. I mean, when you've got an old economy like that and then you've got China next door and they hate you, that's not easy. But, you know, what I always say when people complain about Japan is there are lots of people in lots of countries around the world who would like to be failing like the Japanese are failing. Yeah, it's a great disaster story. Um, This is an interesting one. Why are you having a go with those nice people at Old Mutual? Ah, yes, thank you. Excellent. <laughs> so Old Mutual this week has appointed a new non-executive director. Now, I knew an old guy in an industrial company. He's since died and retired, uh, or retired and then died. He told me that the next good business idea he ever got from a non-executive director on his board would be the first good business idea he ever got from a non-executive on his board. In his opinion, they were only there for the biscuits and the bucks which is, you know, the non-executive the, this board. Is, but this is not true. We, we spoke to, to the man from PwC last night who does executive re, non-executive remuneration, and he assured me that non-executive <laughs> directors do not do it for the money. Nobody believed okay. him, but um, he, 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 he told me it's not about the money. Okay, good. That's fabulous. Anyway, let's talk about <laughs> Zoe Cruz. There is a woman called Zoe Cruz who's just been appointed to the old mutual board. You know that she was once regarded, this was in 2007, as the world's most powerful woman in business. She was the 2IC to John Mack at Morgan Stanley back in the heyday of the investment banks in America. So that's a coup then, surely? Well, she was booted in 2007 from uh, Morgan Stanley after the company suffered a $3.7 billion loss in the mortgage business. She herself earned in 2006 $30 million dollars. In that one year only, so she's probably not joining the old mutual board for the money, you're right. But they used to call her the cruise missile because she was incredibly hard-charging, tough on people around her, and a real winner in the banking environment. Anyway, she got fired because, as you'll remember, things didn't go well at Morgan Stanley in that period. So she left to start a hedge fund of her own, which was called Voras Capital Management. should have called it Voracious Capital Management, but no, it was called Voras Capital Management in 2009. But she shut it down in 2012 after losing money for clients in a strong market, and she experienced strong fund withdrawals. In any event, she's now been appointed Old Mutual's board. Old Mutual said she's got wonderful experience in financial markets. So I'm thinking, what is this experience that we're talking about? How not to do it in the world of finance? <laughs> Which Maybe. colossal blunders to avoid? Be nice, Paul. Maybe she's learned a lesson. Maybe she's learned a lesson. And do tell me, I mean, I, the one place in the world where I'd struggle to be a PR person, if ever I was ever to be condemned to that uh, role, I certainly wouldn't want to be doing it in Egypt. PR people, look, as you uh, as can tell from your comments, you know, former journalists, mostly in PR, they cross to the dark side, terrible people, overpaid spin doctors. Still, you can't knock them. All they're trying to do is make a buck, and some of their hideous clients definitely need help sanitizing <laughs> their images. Imagine being Justin Bieber's PR guy, Bruce. Oh, yeah, no. I know. I mean, there's, there's some facts worse than death, yes. But you're right. Consider the case of a Washington PR firm hired 
by the Egyptian government to try to rebrand Egypt, to try and jimmy up its, uh, you know, ailing tourism industry, given what's been going on there. So the PR firm says, look, we've got to get some visuals, make some nice ads and so on. So they put together a camera team, you know, their usual top chaps, send them into Cairo to capture some safe image footage, you know, pyramids, maybe some people frolicking on the beach at Sharm el Sheikh or something. Two hours after being arrived at the airport, arrested <laughs> <laughs> on the streets of Cairo by the security police, jailed. Two days later, no food. Not funny. Wretched journalists are rescued, PR people rescued from the prison by other government officials. So there you go. You are you just, sure you don't make this stuff up? <laughs> you know, my kids and I have this thing where instead of telling them horror stories at dinner time, I just update them about the latest developments in Egypt. There we go. Paul Saran, the managing director at Vestact. Thanks very much. Business blunders on a Friday night.